the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. I'm Alex Hochuli in Sao Paulo, Brazil. My co-hosts, George Hoare and Philip Cunliffe, are away, so you'll probably have to just contain yourself with me today. I've just started watching the latest dystopian post-apocalyptic entertainment product in the past few days, and I couldn't help but feel once again like, man, we're just sitting around here waiting for the uber disaster to happen. I'm referring to uh, HBO zombie thriller, The Last of Us, the first season of which came to a close, I think, earlier this month. And this isn't meant to be a slight on that show. I'm, I'm pretty much enjoying it, though. No spoilers, please. Uh, and I think it compares well to a huge number of rivals that it has in that space, or maybe the utterly enchanting Station Eleven, which I loved uh, also from HBO. Anyway, my point is, and this isn't an original one, is that the slew of cultural products within this dystopian genre that have come out over the past decades, and the continuing evident popular appetite for them surely says something about our societies. Today, especially, we should ask, don't we have our fill of really existing dystopia? We've got decades-long stagnation in living standards, a sociability crisis, deaths of despair, migrants left to die or shift off to camps, land war in Europe, and of course, most obviously, a pandemic in which the unprecedented step was taken to lock down entire societies across most of the globe. So, what more do we want? Why do we need, or why do we want to be televisually spoon-fed fantasies of dystopia? Well, the best way to answer this might be uh, by looking at just one such fictional dystopia. Uh, and this one is really good. Um, I promise it's an absolute riot. It's the recently published comic Justice Warriors. And I'm delighted to say I have the authors of this comic on this podcast with me today, the uh, widely acclaimed Matt Boris and Ben Clarkson. Hello, both. Hey, what's happening? Thanks for having you? us. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you on. I'm glad you guys got in touch with me uh, and sent me the comic because I've absolutely loved it. Um, so I thought, for starters, I'll, I'd ask you to do something a little bit different, which is introduce yourselves, if you wouldn't mind. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I'm Matt Bors. I am mostly known as a political cartoonist, uh, which I did for 18 years and stopped in 2021. And I also uh, founded and run The Nib, which is a website and magazine for political cartoons and nonfiction comics. And uh, my name is Ben Clarkson, and I'm a, a filmmaker, animator, illustrator, uh, and writer, and uh, internet guy. Aren't we all internet guys by now? Yeah, we're We've been guys. reduced to internet living, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys are, are, neither of you are kind of, uh, have been forever in comic book guys. I mean, th that's not been your, your metier for forever, right? No, this is my first comic book. Yeah. This is my first like comic book series. I've been drawing political cartoons for my whole life, but, uh, yeah, this is my first like fictional serialized comic book. Ah, okay. No, so I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. I assumed you'd had kind of previous, um, previous lives working in, in comic books. So I guess 
you know, the question is, um, why a comic book now? And I guess we'll get straight into this comic, Justice Warriors, um, which I have in front of me. I was going to show it up to the screen, but it's a podcast. I should, I've done this long <laughs> enough. I should know that's pointless, but um, because I have it in front of me and it's quite nice looking. It's not just like a book. Um, you know, it's great, like, pictures. Oh, cool. it's great, great pictures. It's great. Just imagine. I promise you. Imagine people, great pictures. <laughs> it's great pictures. Um, I guess well, I'll try to share some. Um, you know, uh, some some little bits of it on social media across our channels, um, listeners, if you want to check that, check it out to get a sense of what it actually looks like. Um, but yeah, so maybe I'll just briefly in, do a bad job of introducing what it's about. But it's a uh, Justice Warriors takes place in this world, which is split between a rich, peaceful bubble city and a poor and violent uninhabited zone um, and the rich residents go about their bullshit and blithe disregard for those outside uh, and those outside are the objects of militarized policing. Um, so I mean, that's, I think, the kind of most vague and general introduction I could give without uh, offending the authors, I guess. Um, but wh why then did you decide to do a comic? Did you have an the idea of depicting this sort of world and then decide, oh, well, we need to do a comic or we are going to do, um, or was it, yeah, let's do a comic book and then found the ideas afterwards? Um, this is something that I've been working on for about a decade and, uh, it was originally sort of conceived of as uh, an over-the-top adult animated series, but uh, I, I sort of originally conceived it before I even worked in animation or before I worked in any popular media at all, just as a fine artist before I stopped being a fine artist. And uh, over the decade of developing it, I finally got to the point where I was fed up with just it as an idea in my head of these uh, like political and um, social ciphers that made me laugh. Uh, and I set out to actually start to make it. But uh, it's apparently very hard and very expensive to make animation. So uh, after a couple failed attempts to get it off the ground, uh, I had reached out to Matt in a last-ditch effort to raise some funds uh see if i could coast off of his uh good name and uh we then also then failed to get it off the ground as an animation but the best thing you can do if you have a lot of great um visual ideas and a lot of and you want to develop it and show what you can actually do um with a story is probably a comic book and i think it almost uh, exists better as a comic book. Now I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of in love with the medium now, and I think it's actually a, a good fit for it. And I'd like to add, just uh, you know, Ben Ben designed this world, and then and then came to me, and we really hit it off. Well, we, uh, you know, sort of politically and with our influences and what we wanted to do. But just to set it up a little bit more. For the audience, you know, it's a uh, it's bubble city in the uninhabited zone. Everyone outside of the bubble, which is an endless slum that we never see the end of, is a mutant. And there's all kinds of mutants. And the two cops that we follow mostly through the protagonist of the series is Swamp Cop and Shit. Swamp being kind of a swamp monster and Shit being uh, made of shit and has kind of a poop, <laughs> poop emoji type head. So it's very... Like Ben said, it's kind of an adult animation inspired look to it. I mean, it's very at once, very funny, very over the top, very violent, very weird, very juvenile. 
Yeah, and juvenile at times. And then also, as why we're here on your podcast is it's also, you know, very intensely political. And I probably the uh gotta be the most political comic on like the comic shop racks in the you know, like comic shop stores when it comes when it's coming out monthly. I don't I don't think there's much that's trying to <laughs> say as much as we are. Definitely. And but I guess it doesn't it's something that comes through in the reading. Uh, it's not something that announces itself in an obvious way. It's not like you look at the cover again, wanting yeah. to hold back my desire to lift up the, the comic and show it to the camera. Um, but it's not something that announces itself. But it, and it's great because it it's kind of subversive in um, lots of little and big ways. But you know the little ways are I guess the most satisfying as you go through it. That's good because I think that's what what we want is it's like you know it's a genre comic and we want people to be able to just pick it up and enjoy it and think that it's crazy and fun but it's also not really too shy about you know getting into a ton of issues and uh, if you're a smart reader like the listeners of this podcast you'll there'll be a lot of like materialist politics to pick up from it. Yeah, I think it's I don't know of many other things that uh, sort of under the radar. Uh, not on this in the subtext of the of the tech the subtext of the text in the subtext of the material um, directly hit as many political issues, uh, especially from this angle. Um, I, I don't know if there's much stuff out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm very curious because you said that Ben, you started to build out this world build this world, which, um, I mean, I have no notion of how would one go about starting to write uh, a comic book, but do you, is that the process then that you build out this world, what the world looks like, and then write the, write what the narrative would be, what the plot would be or vice yeah, 100%. versa? Yeah. Uh, I, I had the, I, I'm sort of like the, it's, it's this responsibility has shifted over to Matt as we've worked on it together. But at the beginning, I was definitely like a schizophrenic in conversations, uh, blurting out to Matt, like how the world works, what goes on in this world. And <laughs> yeah. like, You're like, that's against the rules. That doesn't happen here. No, ex exactly. Like I, I had this uh, sort of Byzantine set of rules of like what could happen, who did what, what people looked like. Um, but it, it, none of it was committed to any sort of media that I could quickly communicate. And then as Matt sort of understood more and more this um, sort of clockwork world that I put together that sort of parodied our own in its rules, uh, then we got down to the hard work of trying to figure out how do you bring an audience through this world? How do you introduce them to this world? And then introduce a story to them that's happening in mm. this world, so that you can see the 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 political recourses and the the satire and the jokes that we're trying to develop uh, from the rules that we've set up for this world. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's. It, I find that really interesting. Yeah, as you say, that it's a story within the world. You find a story to tell, which happens within the world, rather than you tell a story about this world. Maybe we should get on to what that story is obviously this is a world of uh, which is highly unequal and grotesque and also grotesquely unequal um mm -hmm. and it's also uh, despite the way maybe i i might have set it up uh, it's not the usual sort of lefty story i guess in which the good downtrodden folk beat or destroy the powerful and evil rich guys uh, and it's not actually either one where they heroically fail either something else sort of happens so 
um, how did you come about that idea? Was that always something that you wanted to depict in it, or was that something you came up came up uh, came across kind of later on? Uh, I think it's sort of a gr- outgrowth of it being a TV idea a little bit. Like, there's obviously more um, p- pathetic realism to it as well, where I don't really, from every social mm. movement I've seen in my life, I don't believe anything's going to work. Uh, but then also TV has a form, uh, which is everything always has to return to normal at the end of the the show. Uh, cause the sort of material ideology of TV is that you're going to watch more TV. So you can't, <laughs> you can't change the show. You can't have any growth or change really. Things just have to reproduce themselves over and over again. And I think, and that is part of the joke of it as a TV show. And I think, um, it's sort of the joke of it as a comic too, because comics do that as well of this constant churn of more and more stories and nothing really happens. We just consume more of these like pamphlets uh, to our own ego. Um, uh, but, that, yeah, no, but that's so, great. Like I, I think that that actually um, brings something home to me. Having read the comic actually made it, made it make more sense even to me in a way, because it's a world where you have to kind of, enjoy spending time in even if it's kind of a yeah. grotesque one yeah um and where it's like this kind of um you know grimly ironic recursiveness right where something these things happen there's a revolt and it kind of doesn't lead anywhere and yeah. you can join us next week sort of thing <laughs> well and one of the you know <clears throat> i think the big uh trope or genre that we're riffing off of is you know cop shows and procedurals where um, you're seeing things mostly from the cop's point of view and they're not in our story, at least they're not presented as the good guys, but they are the protagonists and they're presented with, uh, you know, crime that they have to stop. And one of the plot mechanisms is it's bubble city. It's physically a bubble, but there's also economic bubbles that boom and bust basically with every issue. So there's, there's a different economic scheme that's enacted by the, uh, the prince, who is a uh, famous pop star and also the mayor of Bubble City. <laughs> sort of a cross between Trump and Kanye. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and Prince, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, you know, Prince, um, I love Prince. Prince is not uh, like Kanye or Trump, but you still wouldn't want Prince to be the president of the United States. I don't think you'd <laughs> get some, you'd get some weird you'd get some weird ideas, right? We're, we're <laughs> so the Prince in our story is sort of like you know the endpoint of of celebrity and politics. So he's enacting a scheme to sell more records. Um, the short version is there's an app involved, and the app crashes, and it helps crash the economy. Then people start investing into bread in the same way that they may have invested into NFTs in, at the time that we wrote it. Um, so bread is no longer something you would want to eat. It's something you want to hold on to because the loaf is going to be worth more <laughs> tomorrow. Um, you know, this is a buy, it's buy and hold uh, on bread. So that uh, these economic schisms then create uh, new forms of crime and societal upheaval that the cops then have to police and repress. So that's the general setup. And then amid that, there is kind of a social revolt and the cops have to, um, well, they have to, they have to save the city, but in our uh, world, saving the city means preserving the status quo, which as it's presented is uh, awfully bad. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to say, you know, amongst the best-selling record artists of the 20th century, I think Prince would be probably in the upper echelons hmm. of who I would want to be president yeah. um, <laughs> of, of my fictitious country. I mean, well, did you, I mean, I love his music. Do you ever hear stories about Prince, though? I mean, he's, he's like all rich people and just totally out there with cloud you know. cuckoo land. Yeah. <laughs> But a genuinely, you know, multi-talented person. So oh, yeah. At least there's that. Um, it's not the usual cacistocracy um, of, uh, of the least of the least qualified. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, we're not going to get hung up on that. I wanted to talk about... Um, it's an anti-Prince th- podcast. No. Yeah, no. Th- I'm, I mean, I'm personally very pro-Prince. We don't have an editorial line on Prince, yeah. though. Uh, maybe we that will we'll bring that up in the next meeting. Um, and... Uh, so look out for that. If there's any major editorial shifts, uh, listeners, that's the that's the reason for that. Uh, anyway, so uh, I want to talk about social movements because obviously that's a big part of what happens in Justice Warriors, this movement from outside or from below, um, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, which rises up uh, in the name of, well, justice, I suppose. Uh, and so one of the protagonists of this is this gang, the Libra gang. Um, and that's Libra as in the... Um, astrological zodiac sign which is kind of the most obvious element about it but it also makes it sound like it's libra as in maybe just a misspelling of liberals um is that is that part is that what what you were going for in part i don't think with the name itself but it it certainly uh captures a critique of of liberalism in it and and, and i guess radicals too and and, a, and a, a lot of different things because they have you know it kind of starts out in theory, at least, with sort of being an anti-police, anti-bubble movement. But um, they're inspired by a lot of different things from left-wing movements to stuff that was going on at the time that we wrote it, like QAnon and even just kind of nonsense on TikTok that spreads like actual people being, you know, very into Zodiac stuff in a sort of semi-ironic way, but like a little too much. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and crazed TikTok trends, like people, um, teenagers developing, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The, the ticks they were developing Tourette's, syndrome. Tourette's ticks for a while. Cause they were watching Tourette's influencers. And then, and, uh, um, oh, wow. a big, uh, inspiration was, uh, investors of TikTok, which is sort of like 23 year old guys pretending to be like grind set influencers. Um, so all, all, all of that stuff kind of goes into this crazed ideology that is, you know, if you just listen to the parts where they're anti-establishment, anti-bubble, anti-cop, that part sounds good. But in reality, they are a, a Libra-based uh, ideology that views Libra, they want to put Libras at the top of society, essentially. Yeah. And they, you yeah. know, they have disdain for cancers are the lowest. Cancers are like everyone hates cancers. They basically want to exterminate cancers. And then everyone else is sort of on a on a hierarchy based on their vibes. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't target Aquariuses, I guess. So I'm, I'm all right there. Um, so it's really a middle rung. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just quietly stay. You know, I'm not going to be oppressed by this new order run by the Libras. I'm not going to be one of the winners either. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. I'll stay out of the way. Um, I think that's great though because it does capture um, the weirdness, of, obviously, of of politics today. You know, obviously, it's a comic book about mutants, and there's a shit 
uh, cop, like a cop <laughs> made of shit, as you already said. Um, and, you know, who tragically dies at the end, except he doesn't die because he's just made of shit. So he just splats everywhere. Um, that's not one of the most sophisticated bits. I'm sorry I chose to highlight that. <laughs> but it, but, people I, are but I liked it. Yeah. This is an intellectual podcast, folks. Uh, um, it's an intellectual yeah. book. Come yeah. On. It, it is. Yeah. No, it, um, I mean, come on, we live in a world where like Zizek is one of the most well-known mm -hmm. philosophers in the world. We can do shit and, you know, serious stuff <clears> and, <throat> together. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, it captures a kind of the kind of weird, on one hand, kind of banality of, you know, social media and whatever, um, and the weirdness of it, as well as the millenarianism um, of a lot of the kind of social justice warriors, I guess, today, because I mean, obviously, that had to say that I haven't said social justice warrior in a long time, actually. Um, it's now been, I guess, taken over by woke or whatever, I guess, as the, that yeah. is the term. Um, but, you know, the, the the title obviously alludes to it. Um, so uh, and, anyway, and the Libras are constantly demanding that their followers awaken. Uh, we are seekers, we're awake, like we, we, we riff on a lot of this stuff throughout the throughout the book and just how ideas and almost like social hysteria uh refracts through these hyperconnected networks and media systems that we uh we depict in the book yeah definitely and i mean there's an element of which like they there's these um you know hyperbolic claims which actually res like kind of resolve into pretty um, uninspiring politics or politics, which is actually certainly not liberating in any particular way either. And I think that, I mean, that's something that the Libra gang kind of captures. And I wondered if that's something you wanted to show as well. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, as an allegorical kind of note about the world, our world, the real world. I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 at the end of the day, no one has much uh, in terms of creativity or like a solid critique of what's actually the the fun of the book is that you as a reader are smarter than anyone in the book, and that you're constantly seeing this sort of uh, frothing hysteria occur, and that nobody has any solution. Uh, uh, as to what's going on inside the actual text. Um, and at the end of the day, what everybody really wants is just to be in the bubble uh, if you're to play out their their desires. Right. Um, you got to hustle, become an entrepreneur. Uh, exactly. Make it, big, exactly. Make it rich. Or, and then, or do yeah. an armed insurrection, but either way. But right. either way, that's a, like a form of political entrepreneurship yeah, uh, in, exactly. this, in this so political, world. Yeah, uh, guerrilla movement is just kind of an armed grind set type thing. <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, well, I, you know, I think entrepreneurialism is the last utopia in a way. And uh, maybe we'll come on to kind of the questions of utopia and dystopia that I started with towards the end, actually. Um, before that, I wanted to ask you, because Ben, you had told me, um, you know, before we recorded that you wanted to move away from a certain narrative individualism, a focus on individual heroes. Um, but I wonder whether uh, in attempting to do that, um, that you lose a sense of possibility, right? Because it, it ends up a bit fatalistic. In fact, you know, you've already said or hinted at the way in which this world doesn't really find any way to break beyond this impasse and the inequality between the being in the bubble and those left outside. Yeah, this has been a 
a, a struggle for me narratively in trying to write things for a long time because I I've, I've basically given up on believing in uh, at least at a political level in human agency. Like I really do believe now in sort of like a material determinism that. Uh, like I'm not much of an expert on Hegel. I make some Hegel jokes. Yes, this is a comic with poop in it and poop people and also Hegel jokes. So keep your eyes out for the uh, I'm homeless sure guy I mean, with a with a. I'm sure Alpha Bunga Bunga listeners will will be yes. uh, is a They'll enjoy the homeless this, guy yeah. with a Hegel was right sign in the climax <laughs> of the uh, of the book. Um, but <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I like. I I I've been a part of a few political movements, and to see how like instantly they sort of collapse in on themselves, and then to read historically on the conditions required for other movements to succeed. Usually, it seems like the underlying material conditions are much more important than the individual competencies competencies of the people participating in them. Uh, it's a bit dour, maybe a bit um, pessimistic, but I, I think in I think that the world changes and people react to it. Uh, and, but to write a narrative where nobody has any agency uh, isn't very uplifting, doesn't teach the audience anything. And so Justice Warriors a bit has been a bit of uh, I've always asked myself the question, why the police procedural? Why do I keep coming back to cops as the central to this narrative? Because there's no reason that it has to be police and that the procedural um, has this form of discovery, like every scene pushes you further and further towards discovering the truth behind something. And that's really the only form I can see of uh sort of staying still is to constantly discover once again that there are things in place that are keeping you in the same place if that makes any sense i'm yeah this I is mean, getting like real heady for me <laughs> well, narrative I, I, I would say i'm i'm not i'm maybe not quite <clears throat> as pessim- pessimistic politically as as ben but we we were on the on the same page about how we wanted to write justice warriors which is that the the overall system is, sets up the guardrails and in a lot of and 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 really determines the shape of the world and breaking out of the guardrails we set up is somewhat unrealistic i mean and in in fiction a lot of it especially comic books i mean which are you know steeped in superheroes <clears throat> which have now infected movies uh there's a lot to critique about them and i enjoy a lot of them but i mean they ultimately come down to individuals making heroic choices and that bettering the world. And it just, just rings a little false. And, uh, you know, we wanted to do something that kind of showed that the systems and, you know, systems in place in society can't just be, um, can't just be removed by wishful thinking or even wishful action, you know, like, and the incentives are just like the Libra gang, I mean, the incentives are to get in power for yourself, and we—I ha- won't spoil it too much for everybody that's going to go out and buy it. But the, uh, the you know, <laughs> the 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 antagonist and and the the person behind the Libra gang 
basically says, you know, it makes sense for me to place myself at the top of society. That's the safest place for me to be. The safest place for an individual to be is not to um, try to lose all their power and to make everything equal for everyone. So once you become part of the system, you know, you're incentivized, you're, you're incentivized to make logical choices within that system. I mean, you know, like at one point I didn't own a home and now I'm a middle-class guy who owns a home and you know, you, you become invested in the system in a way, you know, that can be ugly sometimes. I mean, I'm not trying to become a landlord or anything, but you know, you, you, you are part of the society you live in and I can't well, just you know, go Marx out. Marx famously and... played the stocks because, you know, it's like, screw it. I've, if, if the <laughs> capitalists are getting rich, I might as well make some money out of it too. So, yes. You know. Well, you know, I did that. I did the the comic that's sort of become a famous meme, which is like the, you participate in society thing. Yeah. Yeah. So people you know. will know that. I mean, people, yeah. People, people uh, I was so going to make know. reference to it later, but yeah, I'm sure people will, will be familiar with it. I've thought about that more than, uh, well, more than anyone, I'm sure. About, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of it's weird that that blew up because it is it, it does get at something that's a, a crucial debate and and critical to how I think about things, which is you know the one person is like we should improve society somewhat. There's a desire to improve society. How to go about that in a way that creates change or is 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 moral? And then the other guy just saying like, well, you participate in society. You're a hypocrite. Like, yeah, like play the stocks. What's wrong with playing stocks? They exist. Other people are playing them. And there's there's a line in there where you <clears throat> you know you have to you have to participate in society to some degree. You also have to exercise the choices that you can to uh, try to improve things. But unfortunately for the world of justice warriors, um, you know the protagonists are cops. <laughs> And, uh, they are not, it's the, look, it's the best job you can have in the bubble, which is one of the, which is one of the problems. It's mutants policing mutants. Right. Um, yeah. And very true to, very true to reality. Um, not, you know, not the mutants part, obviously, um, but, uh, recruits from the working class, uh, taken up to police the working class, largely speaking. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, I, this prompted a thought actually, because I was going to talk, wanted to ask you a little bit more about this kind of agency or free will versus the determinism. And I don't think the world is deterministic, but there's a certain futility in people exercising their agency in the world. Um, which again, I think is true to our current world right now, uh, in the sense that no one seems to be able to find traction or breakthrough from the impasse that, that we find ourselves. I mean, we call it the end of the end of history, but whatever, you know, th this kind of weird repoliticized situation, um, politics is back, but it doesn't seem to lead anywhere and things just get worse. Um, but, uh, but the, the question of, I guess, of, um, not just so much, not so much agency, but I guess self-interest, which was raised, uh, you know, and it was obviously raised in, in that comic, you know, about we, we should improve society somewhat, is I think that that charge of hypocrisy suggests that any kind of progressive politics, and I mean that in the broadest possible sense, um, any politics that is seeks to be liberating and egalitarian and whatever, uh, that that must be based purely on good intentions um, and altruism and not rooted in self-interest. And I think that's kind of that notion that that politics might be and actually politics if it's to be successful has to be rooted in self-interest has kind of been forgotten right i mean and this is probably i think part of the problem and part of the reason the left finds itself in um such a funk to the extent that we can even speak of of a left and across much of the west today is that they think that 
you know, we don't need to, we, we, it needs to be kind of altruistic or fought, um, you know, for, you know, fight for someone else's justice or whatever, um, rather than for a kind of collective self um, improvement, self liberation, even. Yeah, I, th- I think we sort of lack an imagination about, I was, I was even having conversations on conversations in giant quotation marks on Twitter about this today. Um, people talking about uh, an imaginary communism and then equating it to liberty. But um, yeah, I, I, I struggle to, within modernism, you have in investment into physical structures to and this ties back to justice warriors because you have this giant physical bubble right like you have this domed mega city and you have physical capital there and it's been built and you're not free at that point to not have the bubble anymore you're not free to go back to before building the bubble you've made an investment you've made investments in structures and you need to maintain them you need to um, to take advantage of them, you need to maintain them. You need to reinvest in them. And uh, many people I experience and talk to who are activists and political radicals, they they do have an issue with they they really struggle to grapple with um, the the material world as it really exists in terms of there are physical structures that we do have to maintain like not every country can feed itself certain amounts of trade have to certain amount of international um trade needs to occur we can't just reduce things to national economies mm. instantly we we need to have a certain amount of surplus labor that's captured to reinvest into public infrastructure that we all use to reproduce our labor like roads and sewers and stuff but there is, in my experience, um, sort of a disavowal of this like basic knowledge of the critique of capitalism, and it has redounded to like um, sort of a cultural critique of like you need to, for lack of better terms, virtue signal uh, constantly what what your beliefs are as though that will free us from the bubble from this physical structure that has been invested and that we are bound to uh in in its reproduction and i don't have as the book sort of reflects i don't have a good answer for what to do about all of these things we've built that don't seem to be giving us the lives we wanted to get from them yeah no that's very good i mean and i think relatedly you know the the solution often to that sort of, um, I guess, moralism on the left, but also that inability or unwillingness to grapple with the kind of material reality of our world and the need to reproduce it at least somewhat, um, that people need to work, for example, um, and that people need to work to build and to reproduce our society, uh, that people might want to have you know, a bigger house and a comfortable life and all these kind of things. Um, one of the solutions to that um, often proposed is a sort of populism, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which would be much more transversal, less identitarian, less minoritarian, um, basically cut across <clears throat> and be effectively a sort of class politics, but which doesn't speak its own name, right? It's called populism. Mm. Um, what is really interesting about Justice Warriors um, is the way that, and I mean, this is something that you've prompted me with, and I think it's uh, completely right about 
that a, a populism cannot be based on a vision of, um, as most populisms are, a vision of a pure people. And that that has its kind of left wing version of the kind of the the people who are downtrodden and therefore you know pure and good, and the uh, right version of it, which is you know the pure people are those who are moral or Christian or ethnically good because they're white or whatever it might be. Um, but you know whether it's left or right versions, it, they both hold to this idea of a kind of pure people, un, undifferentiated, uh, and and you kind of poke at that in in Justice Warriors. Maybe you tell us a little bit how you do that. Yeah, the the media, uh, coming back to that sort of media hysteria, because I sort of view the people, or we've presented the people in the book as sort of like a, a sponge, like a porous, a, a porous medium to be pushed around by different messaging. Uh, and at the time we were writing it, there was, um, I had seen, I don't know how true this, this is the thing about the internet too. I have no idea if anything I read is true anymore, but it like it, um, (laughs) it's definitely made me a crazy person because I believe multiple different, um, narratives at the same time, but that actually confirms my point, um, that there we're constantly being messaged to, but at the time I, my anecdote is uh there was the hands-off cuba thing during covid where cuba was being uh there were all these instagram accounts posting um infographics about cuba and someone had done some um cyber techniques on these instagram accounts and found that the vast majority of them had originated from south america and were only one day old which sort of screams of some sort of um cyber action uh a psyop yeah it was it's basically a psyop spelled cy though yeah uh so i don't we and so people like even my wife's colleagues on facebook got like in rolled up in this and were like uh posting up a storm and started putting together like fundraisers for certain charity groups in cuba who said that they were tied to this movement to send them money um and then all of that just sort of disappears but there was this like small hysterical moment where a bunch of fake accounts created an enormous amount of activity and that that wasn't the impetus or the uh, the genesis for the storyline in Justice Warriors but it was another one of these little blips while we were writing it to sort of say like we're on the right track like we really do understand um and we don't understand, but we, we've we been seeing our point of view reflected back to us in the material world that the this pure people that people imagine, this mass, this mob, can be pushed around easily with enormous amounts of media and information. And so it can't be, it can't have any idea of what to do. It can't get us out of a situation that it's fully under the, the, the thrall of. Yeah. And I, the Libra movement even, you know, without spoiling too much is, is not an, an authentic movement in the end. It's an, it doesn't come about authentically, but then once it starts spreading, uh, one of the dynamics I, I like is that you have a bunch of people then st- once Libra is, <clears throat> Once Libra's hot <laughs> and trending online, you have a bunch of people then uh, saying that they're 
Libras who aren't and faking their birth dates. And then you, and you have influencers telling you about, um, you know, service you can use to get a new birth certificate so that you can uh, show that you're Libra and. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that, and that authenticity politics is, I, I think part of the problem, right? Because if we're sitting around waiting for like the authentic movement to come about, um, we're going to, we're waiting for the wrong thing and we're never going to be, we're never going to be satisfied. Um, and then I think that relates to this kind of populist idea of the kind of pure people like, oh, these are the good people here. Um, and that it, to a certain extent, it's, it's a um, particularly sort of anti-political idea as well, because you're basically saying, hey, you know, we don't need to debate people. We don't need to convince anyone. We don't need to win anyone over. We don't need to even grapple with the fact that their own self-interest might point in different directions, one maybe towards um, towards collectivist liberatory movements and one's towards like a conservative way of conceiving their interests in terms of whatever, ethnic identity, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so simply just going, oh, well, these are the authentic people. Let's just listen to them as if there's no, and there's no political, there's no politics in between there. You just go, yeah, cool. Let's, you, you hey, you, you speak. <laughs> tell us, tell us what to do. You know, I think that that's, uh, ends up being a, like a, you know, a disavowal of our own responsibility, effectively. I mean, of everyone's responsibility to to do politics, to debate politics, to have arguments and uh, debate ideas. So let me just move on to um, the question of decline because obviously this is you know bringing us onto the sort of dystopia discussion right um yeah there's obviously this is obviously a dystopian world but it's obviously one which is very closely modeled on on ours um in you know maybe not the you know maybe the shit cops i don't know i was gonna kind of go <laughs> go into the specifics no let's not do that um but i you know i wonder whether you wanted to if this was an ambition of of yours and doing the doing a comic specifically as well not just a, um you know not just in telling this narrative or creating this world but in specifically doing a comic um where you visually depict something uh you know depicting our decline or our already existing dystopian situation somehow or is this a projection to the future actually maybe that's the question is it well, Neom was announced after we uh, were well underway of this. Uh, <laughs> keep that in mind. We're we're a bit ahead of the curve, but we we uh, didn't make it to press before Neom did. Um, I, I like how there's there there's now you know we uh, we don't explain much about the world outside of Bubble City or how far the uninhabited zone extends, but we do mention Starfish City, which you know, at least hints at another world. And we, we see that this is a world filled with other cities that are similar. Maybe Ooh, so there's going to be a sequel. <laughs> oh, absolutely. well, there absolutely is going to be a sequel. I, I mean, just to, just to get this in here, we're going to do volume two for sure. Nice. Um, we have many volumes planned. This is uh, sort of an endless world that we want to explore. And we really see each volume is like exploring sort of a different aspect of the society through the, through the cops mostly, but like, you know, we, we're going to do elections in this city. What the hell do elections look like? How do they work? We're going to do sports. We're going to do, we're going to do a lot of things. Excellent. That's great. I want to spend more time in the city. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We want to do it for 10 years. So like, I mean, is it, I mean, in respect to kind of decline or even dystopia, um, 
is are you you know is your ambition to kind of confront people with, and say like this is actually the, the world we live in and and also maybe to relate it to where um i started off um are we you know are, are is there a problem with i guess dystopian fiction oh i have a couple answers for this uh yeah yeah, yeah it is very intentionally about the politics of decline under liberalism because uh, liberalism doesn't really deal with um, a, a drop in growth very well. Uh, it tends to further concentrate over and over and over again. Um, and so uh, this is a, a visual joke for me, but the bubble is literally depicted as a growth on the us, like it, uh, <laughs> on the uninhabited zone. Uh, it sort of looks like this like infectious boil which is my little growth joke, um, that it further concentrates over and over again until it's almost like this toxic abscess uh, on the on the working class. And it it really is about the, the the politics of decline where these like many people smarter than me have said that what we're looking at is a world of more apartheids and these citadels of wealth that will spring out. Uh, if we continue on this course. And that that sort of brings me to this idea of dystopia. And I'm actually um, sort of soft on whether or not I think Justice Warriors is a dystopia, because from my reading of dystopian and utopian fiction is that their utopias and dystopias are sort of interchangeable. It all depends on what your point of view is. And if you're in the bubble, this is a pretty utopian uh, society. Right. The problem's uh, out there. Like The, the problem's the out there. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, in here it's fine, and uh, there's always in dystopian fiction. There's always sort of a warning. Uh, it's a, a a lot of the the things I've seen, like The Handmaid's Tale. I'll I'll name directly. Um, it, a bit of it is uh, the logic of uh, that's a nice multicultural liberal global capitalism you got there. It's it'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> Uh, sort of pointing out like, oh, look at this extreme inequality or this extreme crisis, uh, like women, uh, sexism, racism, environmental decline, and you better stick with us. Zizek has called it the nostalgia for the present. Uh, Mm, You better stick with us, the producers of the show, the class who are the producers of this show, if we're going to avoid this future. And uh, I don't know exactly what to do about that point of view, but I do think that Justice Warriors is essentially different in the sense that it does not have on its surface a, uh, a multicultural... Um, uh, protection racket as part of it because in the future right. it's very clearly stated in this future of bubble city it's very clearly stated that there is no discrimination there's no sexism uh there none of those problems exist but the the apocalypse is still there as long as you're not a mutant as long as you're not a mutant of course which you know can be can be interpreted in a, in a number of ways you know every um <clears throat> inside the bubble Things are great, and we don't spend a ton of time in the bubble in the book, except uh, mostly on on the prince. But this is 
uh, you know, this is where the 1% lives and their lives are fantastic. And uh, one of the things that really clicked for me about Ben describing the dynamics of this world when we started is, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not just class. It's, it's, it's how cities are uh, becoming now, you know, with uh, people moving into downtown cores and then, uh, you know, people being forced out into the outer rings, the working class. It's also a, a metaphor for, you know, how the developed world extracts uh, resources and labor from the developing world. Uh, one of the things that was really influential on Ben, and then I read it after uh, after we wrote the book, was uh, Planet of Slums by Mike Davis, mm. which, you know, talks a lot about how uh, billions of people on this planet actually live due to uh, neoliberal policies. And then, there, you know, there's non-economic aspects of it, too. It's just like Ben described it to me as um, <clears throat> the bubble is is normal and the uninhabited zone is the weird. And it's, you know, normal society trying to keep out uh, the weird and uh, dissident and subversive ideas. And, you know, everybody out there is a mute. You know, they're not just mutants. They're like cartoon characters. I mean, they have... Um, you get, it, sort of anything goes in the us. You could be a a, a ship mutant. You know, is only the start of it. There's like, I don't right. know. Well, I mean, it, give it, me, give us some, give him a weird example of some of the stuff there, you drew. There's one guy that's like my baby's high chair. There's uh, <laughs> another guy who's like a can opener. There's some tire people. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're, it's, it's kind of getting it, as weird as possible. It it's kind of neat wild. because, like, the the official ideology of the bubble city is diversity in part. Right? Yeah, it's yes, like 100%. It, it flaunts its diversity, but it's obviously the people are all the same. I mean, class in class terms, you know, they're either like upper class or upper middle class, or you know, um, and it that's quite true to to reality, right? The kind of um, advocates of diversity end up being quite undiverse, and the reality of yes. of the world for the vast majority uh it's actually far more in reality diverse than um than when you get in the upper echelons i see the residents of of bubble city uh you know which we'll get to more and more and as volumes go on but it's largely inhabited to my mind by uh, owners uh capitalists um who you know control the means of production that the mutants work in uh owners of helicopters factories for instance which is used in the book uh owners and also uh a you know a, a whole substrata of nepo babies of, of, <laughs> of sort of an I idle rich who do nothing but um spend their parents money and uh try to become you know sort of uh spin up useless careers as you know influencers or uh, creative types with their with their surplus capital that they you know they don't have to get a job yeah professional uh professional friends of the prince <laughs> yeah very good um yeah i i'm trying to um kind of form a, formulate a, a a question here i guess about whether you think that um you know whether we haven't really grasped our decline you know the west uh, and kind of as oh. a whole Absolutely not. I do not think that we have wrapped our head around how the party is over. And I've been on this uh, to anyone who will listen to me for years. Uh, I'm I'm also sort of a um, a reject from the climate movement. Uh, and in my experience working with climate activists, is that they imagine the reproduction of this world in 
perpetuity. But there's a lot of depressing facts that no one likes to listen to. Um, like there's not enough available copper on the surface of the planet to do the electrification that people are talking about. Uh, that's just not available. Um, the, well, if it's not on the surface, it's underneath the surface. In, you got to extract in, it. In no? in, <laughs> there are no like available deposits that we are aware of that can supply the copper necessary. And so the answer to that is always like, okay, well, we'll find new things for wiring. And this is what pushes um, Jeff Bezos into space is this hope that uh, we'll find some sort of asteroid resources that we can put into orbit. But at that point, if you've read a bunch of Carl Sagan, like I have, you realize the second you let Jeff Bezos have an asteroid, you're basically giving a corporation a nuclear weapon, uh, which is getting into some real wild politics there uh, that nobody's prepared to have. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that people have really wrapped their heads around, and and which is what I've spent like the past 10 years of writing Justice Warriors and preparing this world, um, sort of a narrative of uh, chronic decline and how violence becomes a constituent part of a society that can't uh, come to terms with the fact that it's really, really on skid row. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I'm personally less worried about the, you know, uh, resource limits just because most of human history has been a story of, or certainly, you know, modernity has been a story of overcoming those limits and finding solutions that I'm not sure if we're going to reach a hard limit kind of on resources full stop. Well, um, I totally but, agree with you. It's just that um, the the motivating story within these environmental and green capitalist movements is that these resources will are there and will be found, whereas um, the current material situation on the ground is not uh, does not bear these hopes out. Um, I this is me once again being a pessimist. I guess in, just in, in broader terms, beyond kind of in, in environmental questions, the sense of decline I guess is always evaded by. Um, uh, well, obviously, kind of scapegoating in various different forms. I mean, you know, you can say, oh, well, it's immigrants, or it's the deplorables, or it's the PMC, or whoever, right? Um, that to, to a certain extent, once that can be reined in, we can return back to how things, you know, ought to be in a way. And I think there's that mm -hmm. tacit assumption of kind of like, okay, but we can do that. And then, and then kind of, and so even, you know, ostensible radicals, I think are probably not um, entirely um you know equipped or or um you know haven't digested the idea that things would have to radically change and i mean that, that's the only way mm -hmm. things are going to get better you know what uh it's one of my favorite books <clears throat> on this um on this topic is uh four futures by peter frace have you ever heard of this you know this yeah i'm familiar with that yeah 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 so it's uh it talks about it, it uses science fiction as a jumping off point for um how the future is going to be rearranged and using materialism essentially, which is <clears throat> saying, you know, there's, there's four futures uh, that are usually depicted uh, through society. And he has a formula, uh, you know, it's pretty simple, but I'm going to see if I can, I can do it without mangling it. You know, if, if resources are limited and we have um, uh, extremely hierarchical society, if resources are limited and we have a completely non-hierarchical society, or if resources are in abundance and we have a 
very hierarchical society or if resources in abundance and we don't, that essentially gets us to fully automated luxury communism, Star Trek type stuff. And, you know, then the, on the other end of the spectrum is, uh, you know, the road and Mad Max stuff. I mean, to me, it's like, and this is what I don't think people think about it enough is that whether your beef is, you know, copper or overpopulation or oil or whatever, you know, how are the resources on earth going to be shared amongst the people of the planet? Uh, you know, we can either do it equitably with what, whatever we have, whether it's very limited or whether or not AI or, uh, you know, some resource that a tech genius comes up with that, uh, you know, creates carbon neutral uh, power or, um, you know, uh, free energy, free clean energy or whatever it is. If, if it's, if it's not shared equitably uh, amongst people, you're still going to have the same problems, uh, you know, replicated in society forever. Right. No, I mean, and I, I think the, yeah, I mean, you know, phrases, case the one of the quadrants where it's like you know the the kind of uh, low abundance or you know poor poor but equal one i think is um completely on it's the most unrealistic of of mm -hmm. a lot of them. um the only kind of egalitarian and liberated vision that is possible is one of of abundance and that's why we have to talk about production what we produce and how we produce not just distribution and one of the one of the interesting things about the justice warrior world which is uh, very much like ours is that you have this bubble which is as you said also lives off of bubbles you know speculative bubbles um and doesn't actually seem to talk about production in it right it's like i, I don't know how the, the the wealth that exists in in uh, in that world um you know is produced where does well, it come from and this is and this is one thing that we we worked on very hard is to make sure that there was at least some depiction of production in the book. Uh, the first scheme that the prince comes up with is basically using his own new record as a um, unregulated security, and uh, so they had to produce an enormous amount of records to meet the demand for the unregulated security that was going to start a securities bubble. And uh, that is, we, I fought very hard to have the depiction of the production and distribution of the record in the book, because that yeah. has to be shown as the basis of what's happening, is there's an enormous amount of activity and its value has to be uh, in flux. And... Well, uh Overvalued and the other, or undervalued. The other example of that, the other example of that is the uh, is the helicopter drops. So yeah. we do literal helicopter drops, which is you know in economic terms, just you know free money dropping it on you know uh, cash injection into the population. Uh, we do it literally. The prince orders fleets and fleets of helicopters to be built to do helicopter drops on the population to stimulate the economy. So how does that have to happen? You have to build helicopters. Coincidentally, you know, someone, uh, someone's father owns a helicopter company. They're given the uh, favorable terms with the contract, <laughs> so they ramp up production. And then this creates a problem of there being an abundance of helicopters now that have no use. So people start grabbing them off the street, and then this gives rise to helicopter crime because you just have random mutants hopping in helicopters <laughs> and going on joyrides and crashing into stuff. So, you know, that type of stuff we did want to be like, uh, have be the, the backbone of the society where you're, you're witnessing uh, 
extreme wealth concentration and 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 how everyone in the us is sort of uh, a worker who a, you know works at the helicopter factory or the record plant uh the ant the ant who's part of the libra gang is laid off from the record plant um when they close down <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's perfect I, I i mean i love those um yeah those little episodes in there um maybe we could finish here but i, I had one more question actually because Elements like that in the comic are very obviously satirical um, in the way that the whole th- the thing as a whole isn't necessarily satirical, I guess, not not formally speaking. Um, and I wondered, I mean, I, and particularly to Matt, as I guess this is more of your stock and trade, but obviously to both, um, you know, I wonder what you think the role of satire is, because there's obviously been this uh, discussion that's been ongoing, I guess, in, in, in fits and starts for at least the past decade about whether satire still works anymore, whether we're beyond satire. In fact, one of the first episodes that we did was, in fact, um, with a guest, Carl, remarks about uh, about whether satire is even possible today and so on, uh, the extent to which Trump already introduces the critique of Trump into Trump, and therefore, you know, there's mm-hmm. hardly anything to push at. I wonder whether you think, like, the, the world today, particularly now, passing through very serious things um, and politics becomes, despite all the social media bullshit and our incapable mm-hmm. leaders and so on, rather serious of the pandemic and lockdowns and the lack of debate about that and uh, war in Ukraine and the lack of debate about that, whether there's you feel that there's more to kind of punch out, more, more of an easier way to get your hook in than maybe in the past 10 years. Yeah, I don't know. You know, people have been asking me this stuff for a long time and, you know, is the world too surreal to parody at this point, it's seen, you know, uh, <clears throat> I hope not. I mean, I don't want to be, what are we going to do? Be a, a, a dour left fighting for liberation without jokes. It just doesn't, uh, it's not how, right. it's not how and, I think. One, of the, th- how one I, of the problems yeah. with the left is that it's conceded laughter actually to the right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and you know, like, so we've been talking about, um, dystopias, uh, for a little bit. And I feel like I mean, I love I love this stuff, right? I, I I was known in my political cartoons during the Trump era for doing these sort of wasteland comics mm. where there was like Mad Max mutants and stuff. And to me, you know, that that was another way to reflect what was going on in our society and this kind of pervasive feeling that things are getting worse. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not a doomer, you know. I mean, I I, I don't like some of the pervasive negativity that I see uh, online. I know Ben has <laughs> said he's not very optimistic, but I, but I, I find him when you mean uh, online. You mean Ben specifically or no, no, I find Ben to be, you know, uh, a pleasant, uh, a pleasant creative partner and, and very intellectually stimulating. But I, I mean, I, uh, maybe some of the people I see online are like that in real life and everyone online is just intensely negative. But so when I do wasteland stuff or justice warriors, I don't, I'm not saying necessarily that that's the end point of society. I also like, uh, like I was saying, you know, I, I like the fully automated luxury communism is very appealing to me. I don't know if we can have it or not, but I think, you know, in science fiction, it's important to envision good versions of our future. So we can, uh, you know, of Star Trek and, uh, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin did it and uh, a, a lot of other people, but, uh, you know, Justice Warriors is 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 not that right. I mean, you you can't do everything with one with one piece of fiction. So this is this is not the one where we say, 
uh, here is uh, the answer for a better society. It is more uh, targeted around, you know, why things often don't improve and why individuals alone can't improve them. My, my question is, did satire ever work? Like, what is it supposed to have done? Uh, ah, it's it's supposed to have like you know taking the piss so much out of uh, you know the aristocracy and and the royalty in France that uh, that you know showing them doing grotesque things which denuded them of their supposed aura of godliness and and whatever that they so misinformation works <laughs> misinformation works maybe not satire but I'm I'm pretty sure the I, I was being facetious in, in saying what yeah. I was saying too by the way I like yeah. you know I've been in political cartooning circles for a while and political cartoonists have this almost uh, religious veneration now of. Um, uh, Thomas Nast because he took on Boss Tweed and contributed to his downfall, and and it's like man, you know that's like the last, the last time we can cite a political cartoonist having <laughs> having any uh, you know der- considerable influence. But you know I think it's asking too much to say satire is supposed to uh, you know do something. Solve, no, yeah, solve no, a problem yeah, any any more than you know because you can get. You can say, well, what did the, what did a mar- what did the march do? What did uh, what do, what is strapping a bomb to yourself and going to you know blowing something up do? I mean, everything. What is knocking on doors, you know, and getting some people to vote for a Democrat do? You can kind of go across the spectrum of political action and decide that nothing works if you if you want to. Well, definitely nothing works at the level of the individual. Like, uh, yeah us individually making justice warriors doesn't do anything. But I think the value of it comes from, uh, and I think this is an underreported result of art, is making us feel like we're not alone because we people think about these things. Like I do think that people are intelligent. Uh, that's why we wrote a, a, a smart book. Um, and it makes you... If, realize that your understanding of the world isn't completely wasted. You're at least getting a joke. Uh, and that's not nothing. We want to get people... We're, we're, I think we're trying something that it's unproven yet. We'll see. But we want to get people who you know listen to this podcast, those types of people to read and laugh about like a poop mutant being blown apart. And then we want people who want to read ultraviolent weird comics with action in them to think about the materialist card reader in the book, like the tarot card reader, who's a Marxist describing the material reality and what cops actually do. We want to get them thinking about politics and politics people thinking about uh, the other stuff. And then everyone can come together over the acceptance <laughs> that Justice Warriors is good. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's very good. And, you know, writers are also not doing revolution or making things happen, but can often give a name to things for something that everybody already knew, already felt, but maybe didn't have a word for. Um, Just as, you know, a comic like this can give an image to what something that they already knew. And I mean, that worked for me. I think that some of the images will stick with me for themes that I'm familiar with, I guess. Um, But where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to remember that kind of glowing bubble if I think of, um, you know, if I think of inequality and kind of citadels of wealth. Yeah, I think the most successful Justice Warriors can be is if it creates anything that has an escape velocity that creates an idea, you know, where people go, Oh, you know, this is like bubble city. 
All right. Um, I guess we'll leave this here. Uh, thanks very much. Why don't you finish also by telling us, uh, well, telling listeners where they can get a copy of Justice Warriors. Uh, you can find Justice Warriors at any of your major uh, bookseller slash uh, whisk distribution manufacturing mega corporation monopolies uh, like Amazon. Um, I think that there's a Simon & Schuster link uh, that I can give to nice you, Alex, that, that yeah. um, <laughs> has some of uh, Amazon's competitors helpfully uh, listed as well. But most bookstores should have it. If you want to go to a physical bookstore, some comic bookstores might have it, uh, but it's available easily online. Yeah, and it's available digitally as well through Comixology and other places. All right, Matt, Ben, thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers. Oh, Alex, I got. I have a term for you. Uh, I've been listening to, I, I caught up a, on my Alpha Bunga Bunga. And you guys were struggling to name what's happening with uh, this current war situation with China and Ukraine. Very simple. I think it's pretty good. Just Cold War Two. <laughs> the return? Or no, no, be that too much. That just just Cold well, War. In, <laughs> in the same mode that like we had World War Two. Um, uh-huh. That it's basically the same conflict. Just it's sort of shifted its parameters a little bit. And returned under different conditions. It's it's very similar to the Cold War. It's it's the limits of Western versus uh, European, not European, but Eastern um, economic conglomerations, sort of pushing up against each other. I yeah, thought, yeah. You know, I mean, that, it, the thing is, Incredible we've already had. War. You know, historians say that there was a first a first Cold War and a second Cold War within the OG Cold War. That right. was a sub- yeah, Cold War, Cold War Three. Yeah, <laughs> which will just confuse people, which I kind of like too. Yeah, yeah. We had a sub Cold War inside the Cold War. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean, I there were two that. Cold Wars within the Cold War. Yeah, and there was a pit of chilling out, but the chilling out part was not colder; it was warmer, actually, which is weird. Um, it's it's a lot to ha- wrap your head around. Maybe this needs a comic. It doesn't. It doesn't work. You know? I, yeah. I, well, my mind goes to the uh, to keep it on science fiction. The J.G. Ballard story, of the, the, something like the history of World War Three, and it describes like an eight minute sequence of a nuclear confrontation between the U.S. and uh, Russia that is not not widely known, but is is a, was technically a World War Three. <laughs> Superb. Yeah.